When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Monday, September 12th, and the Hokies took care of business in Lane Stadium in Brent Pry's debut in front of Hokie Nation on Saturday, a 27-10 win over Boston College. On episode 254 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, we'll go back through Brent Pry's first head coaching victory. We'll look at the stifling defense that shut down the Eagles to under 200 total yards of offense and some big plays by the offense to get the win in Lane Stadium. All of that and much more coming up on episode 254 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. We welcome you into episode 254 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. However you are listening, whether that is on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, or if you are on our YouTube page, make sure to like, comment, subscribe, and turn on notifications so you know when we go live every week of football season. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company, one of the nation's leading community banks. First Bank and Trust is a nationally ranked community-focused bank with over 30 locations throughout Virginia and Northeast Tennessee with an additional presence in North Carolina. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking, financing solutions for personal, agriculture, business, commercial, and mortgage needs, and more. Visit www.firstbank.com to learn more. Going to be a fun podcast today, guys. we got the full crew on set across the way. David Cunningham, Managing Editor for TechSideline.com. Lead Analyst and Columnist Chris Coleman for TechSideline is to my right. In the fourth chair today, Katie Adams, and behind the scenes, founder and general manager Will Stewart filling in as our best podcast producer in the land, and I'm your host, Jake Lyman. Fun night on on Saturday in Lane Stadium, guys. Uh, before we get into the game, how was your first game day weekend in Blacksburg of the season? Excellent. Um, good tailgate. Uh, it's like as soon as I left my house, it wasn't raining. I parked and started walking. Then it started raining, and I put the poncho on, but as soon as I got to the tailgate, it quit raining. Yeah. <laughs> and it didn't rain for the rest of the tailgate at all and, and held off for most of the game, too. So, uh, And it, even when it did rain, it was one of those that, like, just enough to annoy you, but it wasn't going to drench you. So I think I think we came out pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, we my uh, my roommates and I we had a, a good bunch of people in town and everybody came over. We probably had twenty five to thirty people at our house for that for that noon slate to watch the end of that great Alabama Texas game. Yeah. I'm sure that everybody saw. Um, then I went to the press box and uh, started working, but but no, it was it was a fun game and I, I think in general everybody the, the rain kind of held off maybe a little bit of drizzle and then at the end it kind of came started to come down but in general a fun fun weekend Virginia Tech played really well especially defensively got the win and I think that kind of lifts a little bit of weight off of everybody's shoulders. I, definitely, I had the same feeling yesterday. It's like I, I definitely feel like everybody from Pry, the coaches, the players, the fan base. I'm feel I'm much more relaxed now. I would say it's like everybody wanted that first win, 
and then when you lose to ODU, obviously you wanted even more. Um, because like if Tech had lost to Boston College, yeah, you know you're going to beat Wofford, but you're sitting there wondering how long is it going to be till we get the first real win, yeah. right? Uh, so uh, good to get that out of the way. And I think that's the first thing I wanted to start with is big picture. You lose to Old Dominion. You've got an ACC game coming up. And then, yeah, you mentioned you have Wofford, but then it's that brutal stretch of the season with West Virginia, North Carolina, Miami, Pitt, NC State, all back to back to back to back. It felt like that was probably about as important of a win as it possibly could be because things really could have spiraled if they fell to 0-2. You got, uh, you know, just looking at the next two games after Wofford, West Virginia and Carolina back-to-back, they're two winnable games, but they're also two losable games. You know, I kind of view those games as as toss-up games to a certain extent at this point, although West Virginia's result over the weekend made me feel a lot better about that one. The big thing is neither one of those teams plays defense. And... Virginia Tech's offense could obviously use some work. Now, those offenses are going to challenge the Virginia Tech defense a lot more than, than, than BC's and Old Dominion's did. But uh, if Virginia Tech can get you know the next 10 days or so and clean up some of the offensive issues that, that, that they're having, which we'll get into later, um, they've got a chance to win those two games. And uh, I thought we had a good chance to start this season 3-1 and one or 4-0, and oh, but after we lost to ODU, it's like... Ugh, are we really well after really the way it happened yes yeah after the way it happened we don't need to rehash that but, right but this was i think a confidence a little bit of a confidence booster especially the way the defense played i mean i had so many people i, I saw so many people talking about how man this looks like a vintage bud foster defense like they're they are going out there and they are manhandling especially that front four they were just, attacking just yeah manhandling that offensive line Phil Dracovic was in the dirt more times than he wasn't. And, you know, it started with Armani Chapman's interception on that second play of Boston College's first drive of the game. And Tech really just buckled down. Yes, Zay Flowers had a couple catches, but for the most part, BC couldn't do anything. I think they finished with four yards of rushing off, four yards of rushing offense. They were in the negative for the majority of the game. So just overall, a really good performance. Yes, the offense could be better, but it's a confidence booster going forward. I actually feel bad for BC. Like they've got a good quarterback. They've got a good wide receiver. They've got a good tight end. They've got a good running back. Uh, the offense line they, is They've poor. got a great secondary. Uh, you know, their run defense against anybody besides Virginia Tech could, you know, use some work probably. But on the whole, they're a solid football team. But their offensive line is so bad that they're going to struggle to win any games this year. It's just really bad. Well, let's start with the defense. Uh, I rewatched the condensed game yesterday because it's tough to get a, a great look. I was in the north end zone. You can't really tell exactly what's going on on the field from there. But looking back, the word that, that came to mind was swarming. It felt like mm. no matter where the ball went, there were three or four maroon jerseys around it, uh, 155 total yards, 49 of which came on that one long play to Zay Flowers uh, down the sideline. No first downs until their eighth drive of the game. That was in David's recap, two of 15 on third down. Defense did whatever they wanted on Saturday night. Swarm is the right word. I, I think when I went back and looked at the stats when I got home after the game and looked at the box score, I think you saw Dax with eight or nine tackles, but nobody else had more than five. And a whole bunch of guys had like five and four. And it seemed like anything BC ran between the tackles, there was a whole lot of guys just gang tackling, you know, which is which is awesome, which means there's a ton of guys getting off blocks, a ton of guys making the right reads, and everybody being aggressive and, and flowing to the football. 
your solo tackles generally came outside the box when Dracovic hit those check down routes to like backs and tight ends and receivers out on the flats. Made a lot of solo tackles out there, and they were great form tackles too. You know, BC their their timing in the passing game isn't there. So when the receivers were catching the ball, they were catching the ball with their their backs turned to their to the defenders, and as soon as they turned around, the defenders were right there making the tackle. Man, it was just it's really a thing of beauty from a defensive standpoint. Yeah, I think I think I calculated there were ten to fifteen. I don't know if I put it in my recap or not, but there were ten to fifteen guys that had. Two or more tackles. Mm-hmm. And that, that just kind of goes to show that whether Tech was rotating in a Jaden McDonald or Jaden Keller or, you know, Keyshawn Artis or, um, you know, Dax Hollyfield got got in there and got a big sack on Dracovic and, and the guys up front, Cole Nelson, CJ McCray. It, it seemed like everybody was really making plays, whether it was Jalen Stroman or Seer Peoples or Chamari Connor. I mean, I think all around and Brent Pry was asked about tackling after the game and just said, man, it's kind of a lost art now. And he gave a lot of credit to Chris Marvin, that defense, and just how well they they really just focus on that during the week and sit down and tackle. But Tech tackled really well. There were a lot of big hits in the flat that Tech just came up and, and hit the guy after a yard or two-yard gain, which could have ended up being a big play but weren't. Um, I think in general – that front four, and Tech didn't always rush more than four, but that front four, like Taiwan Garbutt, man, he was outstanding. And I know and he's hurt too a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, small injury. Yeah, Price um, said he's he's been battling a minor injury. Taiwan Garbutt forced a fumble, had a sack. He almost had two. He shouldn't. No, he he should be credited with two. He had the regular sack, right? Yeah, but, the, but then the, 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 there was the other one that like Jerkovic slipped. Yeah, but shouldn't like the closest guy to him get credit for that? Yeah, they originally ruled it as a sack, and then they took it away after they, they discussed it. So. And so they just gave Jerkovic a rush for minus three yards, I, and nobody tackled him? Yeah. I assume in the NFL that's a sack because you would have had to touch him down, but in college football he was down yeah, but after he slipped. N- normally they give credit to the closest defender yeah. for things like that. So that's that. what they did but originally. I don't, I, I don't know. But but it isn't but well, he deserved he, about four. Yeah, but he he had a couple <laughs> he had a couple tackles for loss. He only had th- or he only had three tackles total, but one was a sack and two tackles were for he, loss. He forced that fumble inside the five that Tech almost recovered. And he, he, bat, he, he batted, batted down a ball down. Yeah, he was I mean, all over and the place. It, it got to the point. I was chatting with David Teal and Andy Bitter about the game after the game after, about this. There were so many times where he just ran up to the to the right tackle and literally just went like that. Yeah. And shoved the guy back like four yards. Yeah. Like, like just bodied him. And the fact that he's playing with a little bit of a minor injury, mm-hmm. I, he was he was fun to watch. Well, I'll, I'll read the quote for you. For those of you who didn't follow David's social media or, or read the recap, here is what Taiwan Garbett said about his performance. He said, I felt like a pl- I played like a dog that ain't eat in three days. Go mess with a dog that didn't eat in three days. It might bite your hand. Uh, <laughs> feel like that's pretty... Uh, I feel like that's about right. That's an about accurate the way description, I would say. <laughs> yeah, uh, Taiwan Garbit w- was all over the place. Also, you mentioned Cole Nelson, first career sack yeah. uh, for for Cole, and it felt like Tech really rattled Phil Dracovic. Uh, second year in a row, home opener where an NFL prospect quarterback has come in and just not look like themselves with Sam Howell last year and now Phil Dracovic. He didn't play well, but most of that was due to pressure. Like, pressure throws your timing off on everything. Like, even when he was had a clean pocket, it was like his eyes were just seeing somebody in the back of his head and he was making bad deliveries that were either a little, that were generally too early and they'd be behind a guy. So just... Like, bad protection throws 
timing off yeah. in all phases of the game. And I just, I think they're going to be, I mean, they can't get any worse, I don't think, than that. I mean, that's actually like the worst well, power five offensive line that I think I've ever seen. And, and the fact that one of their probably best offensive linemen coming into the game didn't play because he was injured. And right. then they had... But somebody uh, got hurt. Klein, I think, got hurt during. Yeah, the game. there was a guy that got hurt during the game, and at the be- before a couple of weeks before the season, like back in July, their their uh, one of their longtime veterans on the offensive line got hurt. So they've been battling some injuries. But yeah, and I think part of the difference is like North Carolina's offensive line was okay, and, and but but Tech, I think, just schemed really well. They did for, for that game. This was this this scheme. What Brent Pry is doing with it, it's so similar to what Bud Foster did where the guys just have to pin their ears back and attack. It, mm. it doesn't require a, a whole lot of thinking, and as we've talked about before, sometimes that can just be too much. And, and I think you saw those guys literally just kind of inf- you know enforce themselves and said, okay, we're going to push you back and push you back and push you back. And and Taiwan Garbett said, oh, he noticed. You you could tell Phil Jerkovic was rattled. I don't know. He didn't look 100% towards the end of the game. He, yeah. Um, uh, I, I sped watched the game a little bit yesterday morning. He came up hurting a couple times. Yeah, especially yeah. after the one he slipped where Garbett came in oh, yeah. and, and hit him afterwards. Yeah. He he was walking off the field and, you know, didn't didn't look 100%. But, but Tech got to him. And when you're playing a quarterback of that kind of talent, no matter whether his offensive line is good or not, that's what you have to do. Yeah. Well, and it started immediately. You talked about Armani Chapman. Second play of the game gets an interception. When you've got that sellout crowd on an 8 o'clock start, if you're BC, the last thing you want to do is turn the ball over on the second play of the game. That was a strange play. I should have written this in my column yesterday, but uh, Chapman was playing outside leverage on the receiver, which means he was lined up on the receiver's outside shoulder, and he was up in press coverage too, up tight. And there's two types of routes you know, you can run, you know, you could run what I would call a hard coded route, which is, this is the play call. You're going to run this route no matter what. And then other certain types of plays, you have options on what routes you run, depending on 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 how the defenders lined up, how, uh, so this play must've been hard, hard coded because this is the simplest thing in football. If that guy's lined up in press coverage on your outside, you run inside on a slant (laughs) where there's nobody, right? He didn't do it. I mean, it's like, it's almost tech like tech aligned wanting him to run the slant, but he still he ran himself right into coverage. Yeah, uh, and, and Jerkovic still threw J- the Djokovic ball there. Threw it, which which shows me that that was a hard coded call yeah. by BC, probably a scripted call. A lot of t- probably, I mean, second uh, second offensive play. Yeah, of the a drive. lot of teams script their early plays just for reasons of seeing how the defense aligns and things like that. Um, but it was just an odd play, and that's something I've seen more out of Tech this year. They're playing a little more outside leverage. Than, than they have in the past, which is, you know, I guess that's that'd be the one thing that would, one of the things that differs from the prize scheme, the, the Foster scheme. The other thing that was different this week is uh, we saw the nickel package a lot. A lot. Um, so Keonta Jenkins and J.R. Walker only combined for 26 snaps at the Sam spot. Uh, Stroman was basically text nickel in this game. They played an extra safety. That's why he played probably 40 or 50 snaps. Yeah, because Tamari Connor scoots up to right, the nickel right, spot. Right, right, and, um And then you've got DJ Harvey had six snaps also. Now, you're going to play the nickel more when it's third and 12 every snap or every possession like it was for Boston College this week, right? So, so here's here's the problem. Like J.R. Walker and Keonta Jenkins, I thought both played really good games, but by playing so well, they actually limited their own snaps. 
because BC was in third and long so much. <laughs> That's one way to think of it. <laughs> Put him into that down and distance. Yeah. Got to get him off the field. Uh, we got plenty more to talk about with the defense. Again, another phenomenal outing by Brent Pry's unit. But first, let's check in with Katie in the fourth chair for the first time. I mean, the Scott Frost firing over the weekend truly puts things into perspective of how much money the Big Ten actually has. I mean, the concept of being able to save $7.5 million by waiting 19 days and not doing it. I mean, I get the writing was on the wall for, you know, Scott Frost. They hated him after week zero, but... I just can't even fathom Virginia Tech even being a situation being in a situation like that, and it just goes to show. I mean, that TV contract money is being put to good use for old ACC man. Like, what's an extra seven point five million, right? If you're if you're no, a Nebraska, no I guess. No, it, you never know. It could come out that him being a Nebraska alum, maybe they said, you know what, we're gonna, we're going to fire you. If we don't fire you today, we're going to fire you on October first. So can we get it out of the way? Can you give us a break here? And he said, yes, maybe that, that'll come out, yeah. but I don't know. I don't know if Tech owed Fuente $10 million when they fired him. But they but, reached a settlement. But they reached a settlement, and he said, that's fine. I'm out. Just give me $8.75. Um, so, and, you know, he actually knew he was getting fired a couple of weeks before he got fired. It was just the agent and tech negotiating the buyout yeah, or whatever this is early this yeah I mean, this, this is, is two early. Week, this is now, after week two you, you knew the writing was on the wall you knew he was going to get fired oh, you just yeah. didn't know when it was going to get fired but that that's if they end up paying him all that money that that's insane when they could have just waited a couple of weeks three weeks and it, and it goes down i can't fathom being in that position where you can just throw away seven and a half million dollars <laughs> i mean tech has to count every penny right not only that they paid uh Georgia Southern, what, 1.4 in the buyout? So those three Sunbelt upsets cost a total of $4.7 in buyout money. App, it's like, App State at Texas a was Marshall, Marshall at Notre Dame. Yeah. They were all around like all one around and about, one and a half right, million. Right, and they come, right. come out to $4 million right, total. Right. At least when Virginia Tech lost to uh, ODU, it's like just... A couple hundred K cost us a ho- hotel room and a few iPads from the locker room. That's pretty much it. <laughs> and, and you, you knew going into the season that Scott Frost was on thin ice, but they look good early against Northwestern uh, in Dublin. And then the, uh, the onside kick decision, I think that might've been the final, the final nail for him. I, I don't know if I've ever seen like, what is that? Is that 10 in a row? One score games that they've that they've lost. I think so. I think yeah, they were right. zero and eight last year, and now they're they've 0 and lost this year. An absurd number. Of like one like score games. I'm always big into the law of averages, right? So like they it does should, not apply to Nebraska. It's apparently not. Yeah. <laughs> well, people, Nebraska fans were saying last year they were eight plays away from being eleven and one last right, year. Right. And, and like like <laughs> like it, it doesn't matter. Like they almost beat Ohio State last year. Yes. Right? Yeah. So it doesn't matter who they're playing. They're playing a top five team. They're going to lose by one score. They're playing Georgia Southern. They're going to lose by one score. They, they do the same thing every week. It's incredible. And like Virginia Tech needs a football locker room renovation so badly. And $7.5 million does that and a couple <laughs> other things. But I mean, Scott Frost has the best job in the world right now. A fired college football coach. Move I know, said it best. I'm sure everyone saw that video of him. They offered him his check and he was like, I'm good to go. So Scott Frost probably feels the same way, but I mean, I, I do appreciate when Virginia Tech wins, but it's like we have incentives going around, like the Coach Pry bobblehead, donate $35, and you can get that. And like <laughs> yeah. looking at that, that's what we have to do versus these Big Ten schools who just have unlimited funds, apparently. So now, you know, things into perspective. It still shows, I mean, money's important. All right. So it's like, it's like buying a lottery ticket or a raffle ticket. Let's say there's uh, an organization sells 100 raffle tickets, you buy 10 of them. 
and the next closest person buys five, you have the best chance to win that raffle. It doesn't yeah. mean you're going to win it, though. You, but but you're giving yourself a higher percentage chance to win it. But that doesn't mean that you're going to win it. And like tech, Texas A&M and Appalachian State this past week, right? Like how much money did Texas A&M probably spend on NIL stuff? I know what, the, what they've been accused of spending. And how much uh, money they, you know, chose to buy Jimbo Fisher yeah, out of oh, FSU. Absolutely. The combination of that and all the NIL it, booster deals yeah. only to lose to Appalachian State. It was State, something so. like 56 four- and five-star recruits on the A&M roster and one or two on the App State roster. So, I mean – Yes, you you need to have the talent. It's it's more important than anything, but like it's very important that you develop players and develop the right mentality and, and things like that. And uh I still wonder about Texas football. I mean I mean Texas in general, like at the high school level. Now I, I think I think those guys get so much hype, but they all go play Big Twelve football and they never really like yeah, they get drafted and everything like that, but Texas A and M and Texas They've underachieved with a bunch of Texas recruits through the years, right? And I don't know Texas. I mean, Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt in Texas. Probably they, 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 they do Texas win that game. Win that game against Van but, but just in general, yeah. yeah. Over the last ten years, I agree. And, so. the, and it's not like the other. It's not like the TCU's, the Texas Techs, the Baylor's are are doing fantastic, right. Either. Well, it was a. It's not the case this year, but a couple of years ago, West Virginia had the best defense in that conference. And they were the only team in the conference that didn't recruit Texas high school players. Yeah. They did just give up 56 to Kansas. So yes, <laughs> 42 in regulation. Yes. Right. They, they had the rare uh, loss the, by 13 in overtime. Because oh, they threw up. They threw a pick six. Because Kansas scored first overtime. they threw a pick now, six. Now, this, this shows you right here how important coaching is. So, I don't know, we're getting off topic, and I'll shut up after this. <laughs> but uh, Lance Leopold, the former Kansas yeah. head, or excuse me, the former Buffalo, Buffalo head, coach, head coach. Now at Kansas. Now at Kansas. So, they're 2-0 and for the first time in – God knows when, and they actually have a quality win for the first time in forever on the road. So as soon as he gets to Kansas, Kansas gets better. As soon as he leaves Buffalo, Buffalo loses to Holy Cross on a Hail Mary to end the <laughs> That was hilarious. So that's the difference between, but with a good coach. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, Buffalo is winning football games, and now without him, they're losing to Holy Cross. Yeah. Coach Brown's hot seat is looking mighty hot. So our matchup with West Virginia in a couple Brown, weeks will be an interesting yeah. one to talk about. Apparently his buyout's yet. pretty high too. Yeah. Yeah. He yes, just that, signed an extension or something recently. I don't I don't get this whole thing of, of signing coaches to extensions when you're a year away from probably firing them. And I get you're in a rock and a hard place. You want to you don't want to kill your recruiting for a year because a coach doesn't have a certain number of years on his contract. But if you think you're gonna have to fire him in a year or two, it's gonna cost you more buyout money. So it's kind of a tough position to be in as an athletic director. Uh, from one day ago from 247 Sports, West Virginia coach owed $16 million if fired by Mountaineers uh, after 2022 season. People think what Babcock are bad in, is bad at negotiating deals. <laughs> West Virginia now 0-2, uh, losing to Pitt and Kansas, and 10 days away from making the trip to Lane Stadium uh, on a Thursday night. That's going to be fun. Uh, it was a crazy weekend in college football, and, and thanks to Katie for for bringing that up. I opened up a can of worms. We, you did. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we, we went off topic, but it's all good. I, I did want to mention we didn't talk about our, our friends up north in Charlottesville, uh, and and, and the, we'll uh, talk about it later. We will. That's okay, okay. Right, we'll tease it. Can't we'll wait. tease it. We'll come. We'll come back with that later. Uh, but again, another crazy weekend in college football. We talked about all those upsets, uh, but let's get back to Virginia Tech and Boston College. That's back-to-back -back weeks for this defense that they have been dominant. And again, Old Dominion, they they threw up 
couple prayers down the sidelines and were able to get that drive to win the game at the very end. But it just feels like Brent Pry has come in and immediately instilled the culture that he wants, especially on that side of the ball. And that's kind of what you want when you bring in a defensive-minded head coach, especially when he's calling plays, to come in and immediately make that impact. The number one thing we got asked in the offseason was, besides record, how do you judge progress in, in Brent Pry's first year? And I always answer the question with, you know, I want to see player development, guys getting better over time and things like that. Uh, but now that I've seen Tech play for a couple couple of games, and this applies to the defensive side of the ball. I think what I what I wanted to see, and I didn't know I didn't know it at the time, but I think I realize it now. I wanted to play a more physical brand of of defense. I wanted to be more aggressive on that side of the ball, and I just wanted them to look like an old Virginia Tech defense, as far as the enthusiasm, the physical play, the toughness, the edginess, things like that. And we've seen that through two games. Obviously, with the big caveat that ODU's offensive line is or whole offense is mediocre at best, and BC's offensive line is quite possibly the worst in the country. Maybe UVA's rivaling them. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, but but as far as the mentality, like there's going to be greater challenges for the Tech defense, yeah. but you can't be anything but happy with number one in the country in third down defense and top five and and total defense and rushing defense and, and all of that. And uh so I just, but but I think I, th- I do think it's the change back to the old style one gap attack minded defense that does help you play more physically because you're not sitting back and reading. You're 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 trying to establish the initiative. You're you're defending by attacking, um, which I think is the proper style for Virginia Tech football. I, I think you can recruit to that system at Virginia Tech with three star recruits. You can if you get guys that fit your system and buy into player development. And another thing I like, what uh, you know, they're rotating their defense a lot. They played twenty four guys at least one snap the other night. Twenty one of them played double digit snaps, so they played a lot of players the other night, and and that's keeping guys fresh to a certain extent, I think, and uh, and helping to build a, a little bit of depth too, and uh, that that'll pay dividends down the road. I, I think one of the other biggest things too is. Look at the defense and look at how many guys have experience, or at least mm. had experience coming into the season. You look at just the defensive line. You have that defensive tackle trio of Josh Fuga, Norrell Pollard, Mario Kendricks. You look at the ends. You have Jalen Griffin, Taiwan Garbutt. That's not even including Eli Adams. At linebacker, Dax Hollyfield. And we haven't seen Alan Tisdale play, and hopefully on Tuesday we'll get an update on his eligibility issue, what Pride talked about last week. But still... Um, you know, Dax is a, a very experienced guy, and he's played very he's, well, he's played well so far job. this season yeah. too. At cornerback, Armani Chapman, Dorian Strong, Breon Murray, those guys all have a lot of snaps. Um, and in the back end at safety, Chamari Connor, Nasir Peoples, that's close. I mean, probably sixteen of the twenty-four guys that have played a lot of those snaps. And so there are a ton of young guys that are getting snaps. And and but it helps you have experience and when you are trying to build a culture, yeah, that is important. The young guys actually they improved from game one to game two also. If you yeah. I'm just going only based on the eye test and the PFF grades. Like Jaden McDonald struggled a bit against Old Dominion. His head was kind of all over the place. I'm sure first, first collegiate start, I'm right, sure right. was crazy. Um, he was much better against Boston College in terms of discipline and being in the right spot. Um, C.J. McCray obviously was banged up going to the ODU game, and, and but still played anyway. Didn't have a great game against 
ODU. Had a great game against BC. He was Tech's second highest graded player yeah. uh, against BC. Uh, Cole Nelson, again, improved from game one to game two. Obvious, again, caveat, BC's offensive line is horrible, but it, but it's but not like ODU is great either. But improvement is good to see. Right, absolutely. And for the defense, you mentioned, I believe, David, you tweeted this out, number one in third down defense. It was Andy Bitter tweeted it, yes. it out. And then Will, yeah, shout out Will Stewart, back there producing there podcasts. Will tweeted out a couple stats yesterday um, about just the defensive ranks. And Tech's defense has been really good. And, again, like that's why I think, you know, who knows how West Virginia is going to play? Uh, I don't know who. Who do the Mountaineers have this week? Do you know? Oh, a bad team. Troy. Tro- and college game day is no, going. No, that's at. Oh, that, we oh are sorry. Not wrong at. State. Wrong Mountaineers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. That's the they, better they Mountaineers. They play a really bad FCS team just like Okay. Virginia. Yeah. All right. right. So was, and go figure because you're not trying to schedule a good Absolutely. team before you play. Yeah. But so, okay, they're going to be one and two coming into to Blacksburg next Thursday. But I don't know how much that West Virginia team. You know, Virginia Tech's defense plays, you know, if that front continues to get better, and I think they'll probably overwhelm them. West Virginia's offense is pretty good. I think the defense is what struggles. But that North Carolina game, I think, is going to be the big first test for this defense, where North Carolina is like the third or fourth highest grading offense in, in the ACC, and right. they've been good. It's, the again, the defense, defense that has struggled. the last. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how, you know, that Virginia Tech team – first week of October in Chapel Hill, I think that's going to be the first time where you really see, all right, against a offense that has a lot of firepower, what does this team look like? Strength on strength there yeah. for West Virginia and North Carolina against this Tech defense. Uh, before we move on to the offense and take our break, no first downs until the eighth drive of the game. I mentioned that off the top. That It just felt like the those guys came in ready to play and with the crowd behind them too, that – I don't know if I've ever seen that before, not having a first down until deep into the second quarter. Uh, yeah, it's certainly been a while. They're rare occurrences. And really, if you look at their drive chart, I think they had like a 70 or 80-yard scoring drive and then another like 60-yard drive. And that was it. Yep, that was it. I don't think they gained more than like 10 or 15 yards on any other drive. It was incredible. Uh I think the one the one note of because I was gonna say for Boston College had like ten punts. Um, the one note is Boston College had a seventy six yard punt, Danny tied. Longman, which tied the longest ever punt in Lane Stadium. Yeah, uh, the the previous uh, the the other punt was um, I forget the guy's name Henry Henry Alex Alex Henry I think Alex uh, uh, Nebraska's punter in 2009 when they came to Blacksburg. So, yeah, so Boston College did something good. They set a record for longest punt, 76 <laughs> yards, but uh, but he was punting from his own end zone. So that, that was impressive because you were like, oh, man, Tech's going to get the ball maybe like at the BC 40 or 45 or and something like that. Like the, yeah, and it rolled to like the – It rolled up to 25. Yeah, totally flipped field position. Yeah. Not that but, it mattered. But that was like the one – I mean, again, Boston College had that one, one scoring touchdown, but um, – but yeah, I think that defense. I mean, Dracovic and Boston College were so rattled, and you could tell because it's like, all right, how many times are we going to go three and out? Like, like, like go three and out for seven possessions that you got in, up what late in the second quarter, yeah. and then they finally got a first down, and it's like, all right, we held them this long, and, and I think at that point, Tech was up seventeen nothing. I think at that point, yeah. so. Um, Eventually, like their traditional plays, they just scrapped them, and they they went with their own version of smoke and mirrors. 
Yeah. That's the only way, that's that's when they started moving the ball a little bit. Is yeah. when they started trying. I wouldn't call them trick plays, but again, the old smoke and mirrors plays like Virginia Tech moved the football in 2019. That's the only thing that worked for them all night. Basically. Yeah, and they couldn't run the ball either. Yeah. I mean, again, four. What was it like? 26, 29 rushing rushes for four, four yards. Four <laughs> yards. Uh, that's well, I think I put in my article the lowest or fewest rushing yards Virginia Tech allowed since, like, Florida State in 2012. Even, yeah. if, like you, even if you take out the negative carries, they still only rush for, like, positive 61 yards. Yeah. Right. That Like, again, if if Virginia Tech can continue to be really good against the run, that's going to limit teams going forward. And I believe you said in your recap as well that four may even be kind of generous because BC was down in the negatives for most of the game, game, and then they finally got a few at the very end there. Uh, Dominant performance from the defense. The offense, a lot cleaner, less turnover, no turnovers for uh, considering they had five against Old Dominion. We're going to talk about them as well, talk about Grant Wells. Did his job in a lot of spots, despite only having 140 yards. Keyshawn King with another big run. Gutsy call early to get in the end zone on the first drive of the game. All that's going to come up in the second half of episode 254 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We're going to take a quick break and be right back after this. Welcome back to episode 254 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We're recapping Virginia Tech's first win of the season, 27-10 over Boston College on Saturday in Lane Stadium. Hokies got back on track after a loss to ODU to open up the season. We've already talked about the defense. Do want to mention before we get into the offense, if you have a question or comment for Will, uh, excuse me, David and Chris uh, will behind the scenes today. Make sure you leave that in the YouTube chat. We'll get to those with Katie at the end of the show. So again, we talk defense. Let's talk offense. That ODU game, five turnovers, over 100 yards in penalties. The very least, even though it may not have been very flashy on Saturday night, they got the job done and looked a lot cleaner overall. Yeah, um, the passing game was more efficient. Um, They didn't throw for as many yards, only 140 yards, but... No interceptions, of course. Yeah. Completion percentage jumped up from about 56 to 64 or 65. So just a more efficient, better job overall. Um, I, I still can't totally judge the passing game because you know, Jaden Blue was going to be one of your top receivers, and he played 10 plays because he's been hurt. And, and he's Kay- not in football shape. Caleb Smith played, what, 26, 20, 23, I, I believe is, yeah. is, it was. And he made him count. He made him count for sure. Um, but then, and then, you know, you're supposed to use Kashawn King as this jack of all trades type player. You can't because your running backs are hurt. So you have to use him at running back. And then he got, then he got hurt anyway. Um, so there, there's just, there's so many missing pieces in the passing game and, and everybody's new. The quarterbacks new, the coaches are new. A lot of the wide receivers are new. The system is new to everybody. I thought they improved in game two considering BC. All right. It's a step up in competition. Yep. Uh, BC secondary is really good. Those two corners, again, over 3,000 snaps in their careers between them. Their safety is very experienced. Overall, an ex- I think they were third or fourth in the country in pass defense last year. They can really defend the pass. So considering the level of competition and the fact that Tech's efficiency got better, they improved. Um, still a long way to go. The, the timing's off uh, in some, some instances. The first drive of the game when they tried that screen to Gosnell right on the goal line, um, it was it was well screened by the slot receiver, but but Gosnell didn't get around the screen fat, quick enough. It, it was just off. Like uh, it was put in the spot where he was supposed to be, 
instead of where he was, which is what you're supposed to do as a quarterback, and he just didn't get there. So it wasn't a bad uh, call or a bad play because it was it was open. It was there. You know, it just didn't get executed. Yeah. So there's a plenty of timing issues like that. Um, I have some numbers here as far as the running game goes. Um, these are pure run blocking grades for for some of Virginia Tech's key blockers from last year to this year. Last year, Nick Gallo's run blocking grade, 57.8. This year, 36.7, down over 20 points. Drake Dulius last year, 69.1. This year, 38.9, down 30 points. Silas Janzi, 67.8 last year, 51.1 this year. Parker Clements, 75 last year, 54.5 this year. Caden Moore, 71.3 last year. 55.1 this year. Johnny Jordan, 66.6 last year, 56.1 this year. That's a half a dozen good proven football players for Virginia Tech that are performing at a much lower level in run blocking this year, which I guess in some ways you can say is concerning, but is also encouraging because you know those guys are capable of playing better than they are. It's not like we've got a bunch of new guys as far as run blocking goes and you don't, and, and you're sitting there wondering, oh, are these guys physically capable? We know these guys are physically capable because they've done it in the past. So to me, I, I think the issue is just they're slow picking up this what they're being asked to do in in this offense because uh, we know Joe Rudolph has a history of putting good offensive lines on the field. So that's not a coaching issue. Uh, Tyler Bowen's been an NFL tight ends coach, so I don't think that's a coaching issue per se i just think they're struggling to adapt and 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 they're just not getting out there and they're not quite sure what they're supposed to do which makes you hesitate as a blocker and hesitation leads to penetration and and things like that um i think they got a good opportunity this week by playing wofford and uh wofford has not scored a point this year in case anybody hasn't been following terrier football the mike young bowl is not going to be very exciting um virginia tech doesn't have to worry about scheming to beat wofford all right, Virginia Tech's going to beat Wofford. The defense will probably outscore Wofford. All, all Virginia Tech offensively has to do is, is worry about getting better. Like, turn on the film, figure out exactly what you've been struggling with, and go out and practice it against Wofford. Get your timing down as good as you can going into the West Virginia and North Carolina games when you've got a chance to put up some points. Um, the whole Wofford game, it doesn't matter what, whether Virginia Tech wins 31 to nothing or 62 to nothing. It's about finding what you need to get better on on offense and getting out there in a game situation and and improving upon those things. Um, I think Tech has a, the physical ability to play a lot better than they have on offense. Um, I think in the passing game they need to get healthier and they need to continue to adjust to the system. And the, and the running game is just all about adjusting the system and of course getting the running backs healthy. Obviously, Kashawn King makes a big difference. In, in the running game and tech could have put up more yards the other night if he hadn't gotten hurt um five touches i don't think i've ever seen such an impact on five touches before and it wasn't just his long run he he caused virginia tech's first touchdown it was what was it uh third and five and th- th- they threw it to him in the flat and he was going to get tackled for loss or no gain and and he and he, he escaped two, two defenders right. and, BC's and ended a, up getting a first down. bc's a good tackling team that was the toughest play he's made in his career and uh, he's averaging like eight broken tackles or eight forced missed tackles per game for Virginia Tech right now, considering he's only played a game and a half basically. Before the, so he, I believe he's had thir- he's forced thirteen missed tackles 
this year through a game and a half. In his previous 22 games, he forced 26 missed tackles. So he's halfway there. Yeah. In two years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, he's just a much improved player, more, much more physical player. Yeah. Yeah, I think one, one of the biggest things, like Chris said, it's very it, – with so many injuries, it's hard to kind of judge where this offense is at, where Caleb Smith only plays 20-something snaps – and he had that big, long pass uh, he got from Grant Wells that set up Virginia Tech's eventual scoring yep. touchdown. But he pulled up a little bit after that, went over to the sideline, rode the stationary bike for the next couple of plays, and then literally before the play that Tech scored on, which was an, you know a little out route to Smith in the corner of the end zone that, that Wells threw to him and Tech scored – he was on the bike, came back out, scored the touchdown. Like, like he, even he who's scoring a touchdown is not 100% healthy. Yeah. Jaden Blue's not healthy. Steven Gosnell battled an injury. Um, Malachi Thomas, Jalen Holster aren't healthy. Uh, there are so many guys, part of this offense, that aren't healthy. This is a chance this week to, one, get young guys behind the scenes, more reps, um, but also... Get guys healthy. You don't need to play Malachi Thomas this week. There's no need to risk him. Now, Please you know, if don't. you, I mean, again, like, there's no reason to put him out there for four plays for him just to, to get hurt. Right, so, right. Uh, especially your experienced guys, like Caleb Smith, right? Yeah. Caleb Smith knows what to do. If, Caleb, if Caleb Smith is, on, is only available to play, play 20 snaps, it'd be nice to get a lead, but there's no reason to, to press the issue. But I think... Going back to the Boston College game and in your original question, I think Tech did a lot of good things, but it, they weren't flashy. Like, like kind of like watching Tom Brady a little bit when he's just throwing a little, throwing a little short passes. They're picking up first downs, picking up yards, and it wasn't always converting. But Tech, especially late in this in the second half, Tech scored when it needed to, and I think. I te think Tech's showing improvement, which, as we talked about, is really the biggest thing. Game management, I thought, was impressive. We knew Pry could coach defense. We knew he knew the state of Virginia in recruiting. We knew he understood the culture at Virginia Tech and all that stuff. But as a guy who'd never been a head coach before, we had no idea whether he could manage a game. And even after the ODU at the end with the clock issue, you questioned it. But I, I thought, and I don't know for a fact that this is was his thought process. But uh, Virginia Tech wasn't very aggressive in the passing game, especially once they got up by 14 to 17 points. Um, they just were content to run the ball and throw, throw it short. Uh, because, honestly, BC's offense is so inept, the only way they were going to beat Tech is if Tech threw them the ball. Um, so I think Tech played it safe, which I know that's a boring style of football, but it's a smart style of football at yeah, the same well, time. Yeah, and when Keyshawn yeah. King's healthy, it's, right. it, it, it's, you know, we saw Keyshawn King rip off a 65-yard run right. when the offense blocked really well, right. when you can run the ball like that. I, I think, uh, and, and what we saw when BC cut it to seven, boom, they threw all that out the window and said, we need to score right now. So they threw deep to Caleb Smith and they scored. And, uh, and that was a concerted effort to throw to Smith. I mean, some when you throw a passing play, generally speaking, you've got anywhere from two to four options on the play as a quarterback. That was to Smith the whole way. On the, you, if you go back and watch that play, Wells takes a snap. He's looking at Smith the whole time. There's no other options. Everybody else is a dummy route. 
they're throwing that ball it's, to Smith. It was a perfectly placed ball and perfect. a really good it, catch. You can see you can see why Glenn said said before the season that that uh, Wells has the best deep ball accuracy that he's ever coached. I mean, you can clearly see that. And then you know that they they so they got aggressive on that drive, scored, got up by two scores again, and then went back to the previous game plan of okay, come on back, try to score again, BC. You can't do it, right? Um, so if that was the thought process, which would make sense if it was, I, I thought it was I thought it was sound game management. Well, let's talk about the running backs a little bit more. You mentioned all three of them banged up: Malachi Thomas, Jalen Holston, and now Keyshawn King. Doesn't seem like the latter two are all that serious. They should be able to play through it. Uh, but Keyshawn King showed he's a weapon again. And then last Thursday on Tech uh, on Tech Talk Live, Brent Price said that Malachi Thomas was a game time decision for Saturday's game. He said. I believe his words were, I've never seen anyone heal as quick yeah. as Malachi has. That that room should continue to improve. And like you said, if the run blocking can get better, the running game should become a huge plus for this team moving I, I, forward. I would love for, obviously, I would love for Malachi Thomas to not play this weekend. <laughs> and I would love for him to make his triumphant return for West Virginia, which is what I've been targeting in my head the whole time. I think it would be great if the run blocking came together in the exact week that Malachi Thomas made his return. And that I just think that makes this offense so much better. And when having him, and then you can kind of use Keyshawn King as a jack-of-all-trades guy. And, and Brent Pry, for those wondering about Keyshawn King's status, Brent Pry did say after the game uh, that Keyshawn King, it was just a minor thing and he should be fine to go this, this Saturday against Walford. And as Keyshawn King tweeted, he's like, I'll be back, so so don't worry about <laughs> the it. The thing is, man, uh, yeah, I, I know the original plan was to use him in that Swiss Army knife but role. But he's really good in the backfield. He's clearly one of Tech's two best backs. Yeah. Like, when Mal- like 100% Malachi Thomas, 100% Keshawn King, and then everybody else. Yeah. And quite frankly, it's not even close. So you want to run those two guys as running backs as much as possible, I think, so it kind of takes King out of that role, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, well, I think, it, and honestly, it kind of probably depends on the health of the wide receivers mm-hmm. and, and how that, that's going. But, uh, again, this is a this is a week where you try to get everybody healthy and you don't if, – if somebody's not 100%, no point in playing them. Just – just let them heal. Let them rest. I, I think King is fine. Like, yeah. uh, but I would. I he was, he was worried on the about sidelines like, smiling. Yeah. No, I'd yeah, be more worried about fine. a guy like yeah. like Caleb Smith. You yeah. know, if Caleb yeah. Smith or Jaden Blue still has a yeah. nagging thing, that, don't and, play him. And that's another thing. I don't think Tech felt threatened with Boston College. I think they could have brought King back into the game. Yeah. He never t- changed out of his uniform. He jogged to the tent. He was on the exercise bike smiling. He was standing on the sidelines smiling. He could have gone back into that football game. And I bet if they didn't score after after BC cut it to seven, I bet they wouldn't. My guess, just a guess, that they would have brought him back in. In like an emergency right, situation. Right. So, yeah. okay, so I'm happy with injury management with Virginia Tech right now. Don't. <laughs> better, better <laughs> yeah. not, Let's knock on wood here. Knock on wood, knock on wood right now. <laughs> We're going to have Malachi Thomas take the opening kickoff against Wofford on, <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> You'll have to drag hey, me you guys, out of you guys, see, you guys see Khalil Herbert score a touchdown for the Bears yesterday? I did. Yes. yes. Man, just a perfect example of that guy's vision. Yeah. Like. You know, he, it wasn't a poorly blocked play, but it wasn't a great block play either. He was supposed so to run many, up the middle so and then cut outside. So many backs would just run right into that. You know, his timing and vision of the cut was just absolutely perfect. That guy, I'm sad I never got to see him play a football game in person. Well, and the the 
conditions in Chicago yesterday were less than ideal, <laughs> yeah. to say the least. Well, he was our best back yesterday by yeah. far from a production standpoint, too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, before we keep going with the offense, let's check in with Katie in the fourth chair once again. So what exactly is our desired outcome for the UVA-ODU game this weekend? I, for one, am not looking <laughs> forward to it. UVA gets them at home. Go figure. Both these teams are coming off of losses, though. UVA's offense was non-existent this weekend against Illinois, even though they have this generational quarterback and the best receiving core in the ACC. And then you look at ODU, who got manhandled by ECU this weekend. Mm -hmm. Classic. So, Naturally. I mean, where do we stand with this game as I, a Virginia Tech fan? What do you I, want to I see? think you got to root for the ACC. Uh, I mean, we need the ACC to be as good as possible. Uh, and, like, losing to ODU again... Like if, if ODU is two and one with two wins over ACC teams and a loss to East Carolina, that just really reflects poorly on the conference. Does, does ODU um, play? Now that being said, I will laugh if ODU beats them because I'm sure a bunch of their fans were talking trash, big time trash about Virginia Tech when we lost that game. And of course, my response to that would be, well, ODU's beaten Virginia Tech twice in the last five years. You can't beat us more than once in a, in two decades. Yeah. So you really have no reason to to talk. Too does much ODU trash play now. JMU this year? They do. Oh, oh, oh JMU is going to kill him. Yeah, <laughs> that, 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 that's the thing. JMU's two and zero, and JMU's rolling. Then they went by like in 50, the fun belt. They, they, they beat Middle they Tennessee by like fifty in their first game. Something like I think that. they they played Norfolk State this weekend. Oh yeah, and I think they scored seventy. I want to say <laughs> just, yeah. that's terrifying. Yeah. I, I don't know. I uh, I'm not going to turn the game on, and I'm not going to keep up with it. I'm going to check the score on Sunday and go, okay. And and digest it because that, that's going to be a mess of a game. I don't think I don't think ODU's defense can put up much of a fight. Um, like their defense isn't that good. We made it obviously tech made them look a lot better than than they are. So I, th I think UVA is going to win. I'd be surprised if UVA didn't win. But uh, I would I would roll my eyes from an ACC standpoint if they lost. But I would also laugh. It wouldn't from be the most. Fans it wouldn't be the most. <laughs> be the most ACC thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, now. Their offensive line is on probably is a slight step ahead of Boston College's, but not by much. I think they average 1.4 yards per carry against Illinois. They can't protect the quarterback. They, they didn't protect the quarterback well against Richmond. Uh, the, but everybody's, oh, Tony Elliott's first win, blah, blah, blah. Let's ignore the glaring issues with the <laughs> offensive line, right? Well, guess what? You know, they're, they're not good. And, you know, we know Brendan Armstrong can play. We know all, they got like three wide receivers that I'd love to have. They're really good players, um, but Nobody if you blocked. can't block anybody, then none of that stuff matters, man. It did seem like heading into the season, Virginia's MO was going to be, we're going to score 50, see if you can outscore us, and it, that doesn't work when you only score three. No. It doesn't. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, the crazy thing is I think their defense is improved. Apparently, it seems yeah. like it's improved. But it's kind of like Boston College. They, they can't they can't. Block they're very anybody. similar to Boston College, yeah. it seems like, except they've got – they got a couple more wide receivers. They got, in BC, yeah, I, I think they've say. got more yeah. offensive talent at the skill positions, yeah. but about the same offensive line. Yeah, I mean, and again, like, not to get ahead of ourselves, but like, if Virginia, the Virginia's offensive line is in this state and Virginia Tech's defensive line is in this state oh, come November, that's gonna be fun. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I th I know what's funny is uh, who who was their player that transferred to UNC? Noah Taylor. Yeah. Their yeah. defensive player. Okay, so he was one of their best defensive players, right? So he's left, and their defense has gotten better. And he's arrived at UNC, and their defense has actually gotten worse. Yeah. Uh, it's just like they're not going to – so UNC, technically speaking, has improved their talent level by bringing him in, and they've gotten worse still. It's like no matter what they do down there, they're playing 
bad defense. Speaking what? of UNC, I want to take back a comment I made on this podcast a couple weeks ago. I was like, oh, but they brought in Gene Chizik. Like, he's, you know, he's won a national championship before. Like, I think that they'll get things together. They, I regret wait, saying that. They, be, they didn't even bad. cover against Georgia State. We, 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 yeah. know, we yeah. know Gene Chizik can coach defense. That's the thing. It's all about the culture at UNC. When, when, when your head coach is dancing in the locker room after you give up 61 points to App State, <laughs> that means they have very low expectations and standards for their players. Yeah. You should never celebrate that if, if you're a coach. The guy's just so out of touch. He doesn't even fly with the team to road games. He has his own private plane. It's just, I, I'm, I'm, I, I sound like I hate it for him, but I don't. I actually think it's kind of funny. But. So the UVA-ODU game will be an interesting one to watch. Someone said on Twitter if ODU wins that they should get the Commonwealth Cup, which is just laughable. I can't even imagine oh. that even happening. But um, last <laughs> thing, another matchup to watch this weekend is Wake Forest plays Liberty. It's at Wake Forest. Go figure. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get a little glimpse and to see how Liberty plays against an ACC team that's obviously an opponent that we have in the coming weeks. They lost so. their quarterback. You, Brewer, of course, got hurt in their yeah, first yes. game. Do you know, did Sam, how much did Sam Hartman play? Did oh, he know? played the whole game. It was he awesome. did? Yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah. played great. Yeah. Played, yeah. played, I think, four passing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown. It'll uh, probably be a blowout, but. Yeah. You know. Wake has the number one rated defense from a PFF standpoint in the ACC through two games. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, after after they fired their defensive coordinator, and looks like now granted they have not faced teams that put up much of a resistance in VMI and Vanderbilt. No, but, but having Sam Harmon back now, that combination. Yeah, yeah, they're they'll be a tough out. We'll get to see uh, some of these teams this weekend, and already getting fired up for some of these rivalry matchups: North Carolina in October, and then Virginia coming up uh, Thanksgiving week. Uh, we'll we'll see. Maybe maybe we get a we get to see Brandon Armstrong put up. Uh, three points again or throw screens to their left tackle, (laughs) whatever we want. Uh, Let's get back to the offense here. Uh, We talked a lot about the running backs. We, we dipped our toe into Grant Wells performance. Again, you look at the numbers and 16 for 25, 140 yards. It doesn't look flashy, but when you're coming off a game where you throw the four interceptions, it felt good to see him just kind of, like you said, fill that game manager role, do his job. He got a few big throws late in the game and, and helped the Hokies cement that win. It seemed like when they made a concerted effort to do something in the passing game, they were able to do it. Like they made a concerted effort to throw deep to Caleb Smith. And they completed it. And then later in the game, when they needed to pick up some first downs on, on some long, longer yardage situations, they made a concerted effort to get Connor Bloomrick the football, and they were able to do it. Um, Got to get uh, Daywan Lofton going. Um, this is a guy, this is two coaching staffs and two different groups of players in a row that have raved about how good he is. And here he is with uh, five catches for 40-some yards through two games. I mean, he had two catches for minus two yards the other night. And he's a, he's a better player than that. I mean, Justin Fuente came on this podcast, sat in that chair right there, and called him a stud. And then all in the preseason, I asked every player that I interviewed who's about to have a breakout year, and they're all basically like, oh, Daywan Lofton's awesome. He's great. Here he is through two games. he got five catches. And I'm not blaming him because I think the whole passing game, for reasons we've enumerated, is, is struggling right now. But you've got to find a way to get – Get him the ball in space. Get, um, get him in a situation where he can can make some guys miss and hopefully make some uh, generate some some bigger plays. Uh, I, I don't think things are as far away as they seem on offense. Uh, I, I know Tech fans are whole, used to going whole seasons with hearing Frank Beamer back in the day say, "Oh, we just went back and watched the film and we're one block away." 
right? That's that's what he'd say all the week on Tech Talk Live. And I don't want to sound like that because it is more complicated than, than that. There are a lot of these plays where Tech, in my opinion, is about four blocks away. <laughs> but but I also know that those four the guys making those four blocks have played much better football in the past, and they're capable of playing better football in the future. Uh, I think that will happen in the running game. I, I don't know how quickly the passing game will come along. It's just impossible to, to guess at this point. Yeah, but I, I feel like the good news is Grant Wells didn't force anything. It, it wasn't it wasn't like he's trying to to you know, be a superstar and fit fit it into tight windows. He he was very methodical, I thought. Did you feel like he went through his progressions well? Yeah, I think he did all right there. And I thought he ran it well. Yes, yeah, and again, tackles. he's oh my god, he's deceptively he's, he terrified me on that one play when he it was it was oh a god. long yard situation. He scrambled he for about ten slide. or twelve yards. No, he just put his head down. <laughs> oh, he, he he about knocked out the BC player too. Yeah, I mean, he, he showed he, his stuff just, but please never do that. Again. Thinks he's <laughs> Logan Thomas. Yes, yeah. No, I, I think I think in general he overall he's a he's a deceptively athletic mm-hmm. guy, and he he's a good pocket presence. I felt. And he didn't try to do too much. And in this type of game, as Chris already talked about, if you make a mistake, you are handing Boston College, not points, but you're giving them an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And he limited that, didn't let that happen. And instead, when Virginia Tech needed to do something, when Virginia Tech needed to score, he connected with Caleb Smith. Um, Yes, the offense wasn't flashy. And it it was a little sluggish at times, but I think – this is that that's that's all you need in this kind of game where your defense is so dominant. I think and I know some fans won't want to hear this because the complaint the last few years is tech ran the quarterback too much. But you need to incorporate the read option back into it a little bit, I think. I think that's making it easy for, for the defense to just tee off on the running back. I mean, I think he pulled it down like once in, in the read option once and ran sixteen yards for a touchdown. Yeah. But I can't think of too many like actual read option calls in there. He's just handing it off to the running back every time. So you, you got to figure something like that. I'm not saying you need to come out and do this against Walker, yeah, but, but, uh, but I, th- I think you've got to make the defense think a little bit more in the running game. And I also think it's interesting because chance black played a lot mm-hmm. because King missed, King was out. King missed yeah. a bunch of time. Holson didn't play. Thomas is out. So chance black got a lot of snaps. And I think, I think maybe if Keyshawn Kings in the backfield or Malachi Thomas, those are guys when, when they come back, obviously I don't know, think you really need to start incorporating that. I guess unless you want to test it incorporate it against Wofford because you don't need to, be that advanced offensively against mm-hmm. Wofford, but against West Virginia, if you've got those better running back options back, you throw the book at West Virginia. You don't hold anything back at <laughs> yeah, that point. Exactly. Uh, you, you mentioned Connor Blumrick as well, who we kind of said on, on last week's podcast, it didn't feel like he was all that involved until mm-hmm. those Hail Marys at the very end right. against Old Dominion. Right. He had five catches, uh, and I want to say he converted a big third and 11 he, he later, later on the he game. He made two guys miss on one play, too. Yeah. Yeah. Which which you need. I mean, you can't just have this passing game where oh, you throw it to him and he gets tackled. Hey, nice catch. You've got to have some guys that make dudes miss. Um, he lined up in the wildcat a couple times too. Yeah. I mean, you look at how. I mean, this applies for every position. But you look at how Alabama won that football game at the end. I mean, their quarterback just got out and made somebody miss, right? And then they kicked the field goal. It wasn't some brilliant play call by Nick Saban or any envious coaches where they just outcoached Texas. No, they had an athlete make a play in the open field and they won the game. And you've got to have, you've got to have that. And that's why 
Kashawn King has been so big for Virginia Tech this year. He's forcing missed tackles. Yeah, I, I think Blumrick's athleticism is something Brent Pry raved about and, and the Tyler Bowen. They, they were like, this guy is so athletic. He's such a big mismatch. And we didn't see it against Old Dominion. And mm-hmm. there were a couple times where he lined up in the slot um, and, and they threw him the ball on a, a slant, crossing, you know, whatever it was. They got him the ball. And he took a couple snaps in the Wildcat, which I think kind of mixes things up, gives the defense something else they have to prepare for. But I think in general, he's a guy they need to get him the ball. Um, Because like Chris said, kind of like Keyshawn King, when the ball's in his hands, he can do some special things with it. Connor Blumrick, the weapon, as we're going to call him, can really do anything. Throw, pass, run, or throw, catch, run. Uh, and he had a much better game. And, and pass. Mustaches like that either. Yes. 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 Uh, great defense from the Hokies. Clean offense. Got a 27-10 win. Uh, I do want to talk about, before we wrap up here, how good the atmosphere was and the video that was circulating yesterday of Brent Pryor running out of the tunnel and hands over his head, just so excited to be running out of the tunnel for the first time. Uh, I thought that was really cool and and kind of a breath of fresh air there, seeing Brent Pryor just so excited to be in that atmosphere. The atmosphere was really good all day, in the stadium, out of the stadium, whatever. Like, even in the tailgating lots, you know, people talked about the ODU game, but it was more of like you chuckle about it and then you're like, yeah, whatever, let's move on. Um, now, obviously, if you lost to Boston College, it would have been more frustrating, but it kind of almost seems like the ODU game didn't even happen now to a certain extent. It's I think like, everybody was so excited for, for Pry's first game, right. first, first home football game of the, the, of the season, and, and so many people are in town, so many former students, so, you know, just alums, big fans, people bringing their families to games for the first time, and pe- people get to see Brent Pry for the first time, and Brent Pry runs out of the tunnel, um, and Brent Pry's excitement level, I think, was off was off the charts. And again, they kept it a clean game, which I think was really important. But you talk about the stands and the atmosphere. It was a sellout, and I think for the most part, the stands were completely full, and and the fans had a lot to cheer about. I think, which was good. And the Tech and the ACC Network both, I think, did a good job of with their presentation of the entire environment and atmosphere and everything too. And I think that win and that experience, especially with Wofford coming up this weekend, probably not going to be anything that's going to deter fans from coming back out. West Virginia, that Thursday night game might've just gotten taken to another level because now a lot of those fans just had a great experience in a night game at Lane stadium. Now they're coming back and going to make some noise, especially when you can, uh, as I know Chris is excited about, it. especially when you, you have the opportunity to rub it in West Virginia's face. Absolutely. Rub, rub it in their face. Not only just beat them, you run up the <laughs> score, man. You don't, they don't hold anything back on this if, if you get that opportunity. Yeah. that's. I mean, it's a 7.30 p.m. Eastern kick on ESPN under the lights, and it's going to be uh, – it's, it's an opportunity that you don't get much these days as a Tech fan. No, Two it, night it, games in a row, one of them against a team you haven't played at home since 2004 – a border rivalry. Yeah, and it'll be the it's like the twenty something anniversary of it's it's like twenty something years to the day of Virginia Tech's first ever Thursday night game, right? Uh, Which, against oh, West Virginia. Yeah, the, the the whole Thursday night thing started in that nineteen ninety four game. Nineteen ninety four. So uh, against against West Virginia. I'm not a math major, so uh, that that's when the Thursday night uh, tradition started. Yes. Uh, Thursday night football was new to ESPN back then. Yeah, and, and so now Virginia Tech has a chance. 
you're back on the Thursday night stage and you have a chance to make a statement against your rival. I mean, that's going to be a game. You do you ever find your shirt? Do you look for it yet? I I am I I don't see it in either one of my closets. I am extremely afraid that when I was remodeling my house, putting in new floors and painting, I had to pack up everything that it accidentally got thrown out. I, I really hope not. hope not. I hope not. Right. But I've, st- I've I gotta, I'll do some more digging this weekend and see if I can find it. Well, Wofford coming up on Saturday, West Virginia, 10 days away. Last thing before we go to the YouTube chat, uh, Brent Pry did mention how big of a recruiting weekend this was. Uh, he said on tech talk live, they've got, ton of guys coming in some guys might have to sit on laps during the game but it's okay they're going to be in the stadium uh it it felt like great experience for all of the visitors and hopefully maybe a boost for the Hokies moving forward yeah the sidelines were packed I think there were anywhere between 100 and 120 football recruits in mm-hmm. town, not to mention a couple of basketball guys in town too, oh, taking was, official all sports. Yeah, all sports. every uh, single sport had, so, a, somebody, had a football weekend. So I was out Friday. Recruiting I was out Friday night, and and somebody with softball told me, uh, "I've got to get up early. Big day, hosting recruits all day." You know, so it's all sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think in general. And it was, they, that, they saw a great atmosphere. Yeah, I was going to say, like, we, you, you just you, talked about the atmosphere. Yeah. If That's you the atmosphere you want to see. If you don't come to Virginia Tech, it's not going to be because the atmosphere is not great, right? Yeah. And and they got to see a win, which, away, you know, people stay in the stands a little bit longer. It lasts a little bit longer into the game. So uh, definitely good for recruiting. Maybe we'll see the, the fruits of that come in, in all sports moving forward over the next couple of weeks. Uh, let's check in on the YouTube chat. Any good questions or, or do we have any stats in the, in there? We've got yeah. our graphic over there. A lot of good questions today, but first, you know, you love it. Scott, what am I saying? Stat time with Scott Lesnar. <laughs> um, so he says Beamer's first game versus Boston College allowed 617 total yards. 169 were rushed. 448 were passing yards. Fuente's first game versus Boston College allowed 124 total yards. 44 rush, 80 pass. And then Price first game versus Boston College, 155 total yards, four rush, 151 pass. I mean, that cannot be underestimated. The fact that they only rush for four yards is incredible. Um, but 2009, this is a separate stat. 2009 BC game, BC had zero first downs in the entire first half. Only time since 87 opponent had zero first downs in the first half. But aside from the fact, um, question-wise, Eric Fisher says, does Chris still stand by his statement that this is the best secondary the Hokies will face all season? I haven't uh, I haven't studied any future opponents, yeah. so I don't know. But I, I do know from a statistical standpoint, from an ex- experience standpoint, from a PFF grading standpoint, Boston College's secondary was excellent. Um, so when you combine that, the, just the pure experience and the historical performance of those players that they have, I don't think there's going to be too many teams that, that are, are going to be able to match that. They would have a chance to match that. So from that standpoint, it, it's all downhill for, for, from here. Certainly like West Virginia and Carolina don't play as well in, in the secondary. Um, you know, I'd have to study. I haven't looked at NC State or Miami or teams like that. And certainly those guys, those teams have talent in the secondary or they wouldn't be ranked where they're ranked. But uh, the BC's darn good back there. Uh, it was certainly uh, a big step up in competition from, from week one. I would, I would go so far as to say that at worst, they'll be one of the top three or four secondaries Virginia Tech faces this year, but certainly could be the best. 
Frank Ketterly, let's talk running backs with the offensive line still needing work. What will Malachi Thomas add to this offense when he's back? How will the offense look different? Keyshawn King looks really good. Yeah, he does. And, uh, you know, while you'd love to be able to use King in more of a jack-of-all-trades role when Malachi Thomas comes back, I just it's really difficult. It'd be really difficult to take him out of a ball-carrying position right now. Uh, just based on what he's done. You could, you, could, you could do that some. Certainly right now you can't really do it any. Um, but I just think, uh, assuming you know Malachi Thomas comes back and when he comes back he's in football shape and he can be productive. Um, now, if, if he doesn't look like the Malachi Thomas we saw last year when he got rolling, then, th- then that's a different story. Um, but but if he comes back and he's a good player, then those are your two backs. I think I, th- yeah. I think I think you have to go with those two guys. And and Jayon Holson's such a good teammate. But the bottom line is for, for his career, he averages less fewer than three four yards a carry, and that's not productive enough. You we we uh, you got to win football games, right? Uh, and when Virginia Tech decided to switch to a two man running back rotation last year. They picked the right two guys. They picked Raheem Blackshear. There were just a couple of games there where, where they, they didn't, didn't get the get ball enough. enough. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, but they they picked they picked the right two guys, and and I wonder if the same thing won't happen this year. And yeah. I, I know you know it upset Holston last year when he got his carries taken away, and he feels better about his chances this year. And I know, I know Prize hyped him up, but but I just I just think when it comes down to it. If you get a healthy Kashawn King and a healthy Malachi Thomas at the same time, and these numbers get better right here, um, the run blocking numbers, then I just think I, I don't I think those two guys are your two best options right there, and it's not not very close. I I, I just think it'd be hard to take both of those guys off the yeah, field. Yeah. you don't want to Keyshawn King. What did Keyshawn? How many rushing yards did Keyshawn King finish with? Sixty-four. 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 Because right, right. he had a, you know, that any, one long or run. sixty-three. I think it was a sixty-four-yard run, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, and he had over a hundred yards last week, and he would have had over a hundred yards, I, I would think, if he had played in the sure. second half, but yeah. he didn't. And you know, Malachi Thomas has had he hadn't played yet this year, but he had some really good games last year, and um, I, I again, we kind of talked about this past two weeks but i'm very curious to see what the how the staff manages the running back rotation Mm -hmm. because it was so poorly managed in the past when a guy is hot do you continue to feed him well Mm -hmm. if jalen jalen holston you know is behind those two guys that are that are hot and that continue to produce i don't think there's any reason why you say okay we're gonna give jalen holston more time you know even though yes he's been consistent he's been a good team player Keyshawn King, we've seen how explosive he can be. And if Malachi Thomas can turn it on when he gets back, that is a really dynamic running back duo yeah. if they can stay healthy. Yeah, that, that's that's two quality guys back there. And, uh, you know, King was a four-star recruit by some services coming out of high school, and his film was awesome. And I always loved him as a prospect. So it's it's good to see him finally playing like, like I thought he was capable of playing. Hoping we see both those guys out there for West Virginia. But Wofford coming up on Saturday first. Um, 
probably hoping we at most we see Keyshawn King there again. We <laughs> Malachi Thomas, rest up, get ready for yes, the big games please. coming up, that stretch of five games. Thank you, Katie, for going through the YouTube chat, and thank you to everybody in the chat for giving us your questions and comments. Uh, before we get out of here, guys, what is coming up on TechSideline.com over the next few days? Oh, it should be a traditional uh, week of, of in-season content. Will, I assume, will have a Monday Thoughts. Uh, Brandon Patterson will have... Uh, his his video recap. Um, I'll have a preview of Wofford, although there's honestly not a whole lot to, pre- to preview. So this is not going to be one of my typical, uh, you know, chap- whole chapters of the book, basically. It's, it's going to be maybe, for, instead of a 3,500-word preview, it's probably like a 1,500-word preview or something like that because there's just not much to say. Uh, but that saves time. I think I'm going to tell uh, Brandon Patterson not to preview Wofford because there's no point. There's not really much film on them anyway. Just dedicate all your resources to to the big one next week against West Virginia, which is what the football program should do too. <laughs> yeah, I uh, well, let's see what's coming on Tech Sideline uh, tomorrow, Tuesday at twelve thirty. Brent Pry will speak to the media, um, so I'll have a story tomorrow off of what he says there. Uh, Wednesday, uh, we we'll talk with some select student athletes at at two and then we'll get to go observe practice at four or five um, and talk to Brent Pry and some student athletes afterwards. Uh, and then Thursday we'll talk to an assistant coach, I think. So there should be some pretty interesting stuff over the next couple of days. Although, you know, you are preparing Virginia tech is preparing for Wofford, but this week is more about them figuring some things out. I, I think I'm going to ask Brent Pry about the run game specifically and how, how he thinks, the, the guys up front are doing tomorrow um, yeah. because I think that's I think that's the one of the biggest keys to this offense if Tech can get the running backs healthy and get those guys going you know get get the big guys up front pushing and um, back to how they graded out the past couple of years I, I think that'll be a positive. Mm-hmm. And we'll also be back on Wednesday afternoon, TSL podcast previewing the Wofford game. We'll go through all of that and and kind of the stuff we've kind of touched on here today about using the Wofford game to make sure you're ready for that next stretch coming up yeah, into October. Maybe we can talk half the show about Wofford and maybe the other half about some other stuff. There's really not a whole lot you can say about Wofford. Well, we, we, yeah, we'll, we'll figure out something to talk <laughs> about for sure. And we'll be back Wednesday afternoon with that. But I think that wraps things up here on episode 254 of the Tech Sideline podcast. I want to thank everybody on set. David Cunningham, across the way, managing editor of Tech Sideline at The Real D. Cunna. Chris Coleman to my right, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. Katie Adams in the fourth chair. Katie Six Adams on Twitter did a great job once again. Behind the scenes, founder and general manager Will Stewart filling in as producer did a great job as well at Will Stewart TSL on Twitter. And I'm Jake Lyman signing off. Enjoy the start to your week, Hokies fans. We'll talk to you on Wednesday.